and welcome to the Faith Design Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 10th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of August 9th, 2020. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited because I think this week is kind of a fun, interesting gospel text, and there's some interesting ways we can look at this, but it's also a really challenging week because... As you'll find, there's things that we've talked about in the past, and I just didn't feel like really rehashing things in this case. And especially in the world in which we're in, it's really easy to be going into and talking about being afraid and what does that all look like. And I don't feel like that's really what we're needing at this time. And I think there's a point here where, again, we can see a different way of life that we're being spoken into in a way of faith that we're supposed to be spoken into this week. And you'll find that a lot here this week in the gospel text when we get to that part. But I think that's one of the things right now in all of this. It's really difficult to be able to see the light of what's all going on in the world in which we're in. Yet we are told to continue to be like that and continue to live that faithful lifestyle of not knowing where we're going, but yet having confidence in where we are going. And I think that's such a difficult thing to be able to do. And yet, that's exactly what we're called to do. So it fits really well into what we're going through and what we're going to be getting into this week in the gospel text. But let's jump into last week's Twitter question, which last week's Twitter question I thought was a fairly difficult one, is what is your ratio? And I was talking, how often are you connecting with the sympathetic nervous system and how often are you connecting with the parasympathetic nervous system? The sympathetic being this more thoughtful, this more regulated, more calming force, where the parasympathetic is a quick reaction, our fight, flight, or freeze mechanism. And I think it's something that we all wrestle with, how often we are quick to make quick reaction and how we, almost in our society, emphasize the idea of making quick reactions, and that's a good thing. It's good to be able to make quick, good, decisive decisions. And yet, there's a lot of things in life where we are told it's good to really be thoughtful. We realize this as we go along in life that sometimes it's okay to slow down and take some time to think about something than making a quick knee-jerk reaction, and that's sometimes a better way forward than what we initially think. And so I think as we are in this world of trying to find knee-jerk reactions and at times even getting frustrated with how long it is taking to make decisions, I think it's something that we do need to remember and hold in balance no matter how difficult that is. So let's just jump into it this week. I'm again going to jump right into our first text this week and then work to our gospel text. So the first reading this week is from 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 9 through 18. Interesting spot that we're dropping into here. We have Elijah who is kind of fleeing and he's spending some time in a cave. And God kind of comes to him and says, what are you doing? Why are you fleeing? And Elijah is feeling overwhelmed. His comment is, there's no one left who is zealous for you like I am, and so I'm running because they're wanting to kill me. And so he calls him out, and there's this big earthquake, and we have fires, and we have all these different things, but where we find God is in the silence. The silence is what brings Elijah out. And again, then God talking with Elijah and saying, why are you like this? And 
gives the same answer. And so then God gives him his commands and it's kind of decisive in, in this question of what does this all mean? Because he's going and out anointing people and he's giving some foresight into what's going to happen. And it also appears to be anointing the prophet to replace him and what that's going to mean and how God is calling him to still go into these places, and yet there are still people that he is overlooking, that he is not seeing at this moment, that still need to have the gospel preached to them, of the God's word coming to them. The alternative first reading this week is from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 28. This week and next week, we are going very quickly through the story of Joseph. And so we have the setup here at the beginning of Joseph is the most loved son of Israel. And so he gives him this robe with sleeves and often also translated as many colors. So this precious robe, and it's very obvious to his brothers that he is the most well-liked. We omit the readings of him talking about the dreams that really make his brothers really envious of him and kind of set him over the top. His father sends Joseph out to go and find his brothers, and they're supposed to be in this town of Shechem. And he goes there, and that's not where they are. He gets told by a local that, no, he overheard them go to Dotham. And when he is still a ways off, the brothers come up with this scheme to make it appear that he has died. They throw him in a pit. They don't actually kill him. They dip his robe in the blood so that they can bring that back to the father. And they sell him off to be a slave, essentially. And and Joseph gets brought to Egypt. So this story of traitor and this story of what is going to become of this great possible person of Joseph? And it's an interesting text of the challenges at times that we go through in our own faith walk. The psalm this week is Psalm 85, verses 8 through 13. And again, this is another psalm of trying to live in the steadfast love of God, trying to realize that sometimes when we are going through things that God is still steering us and trying to lead us through them no matter how difficult that is and that there is a peace that will come through it but it's very difficult maybe in the time being that we just have to continue to lean on what God is doing. The second reading is from Romans chapter 10 verses 5 through 15. This is Paul reminding us on what are we actually doing and not trying to draw lines within the sand of who's in and who's out in heaven, who is God's people, who's not God's people, that we are called to bring good news to people. That's what we're called to do. And the beautiful line that we all are accustomed to coming from verse 15 right at the end here. And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So this idea of that we are called to go and share the good news with others to bring this good news to them and not to be this judge of drawing lines, that we are the ones that bring the good news and help bring life into people. The gospel text this week in Matthew picks up right where we left off last week. It's in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. 
So this, again, like I said, picks up immediately right where we left off. Jesus dismisses his disciples to go out in a boat while he takes care of the crowds. He then goes and prays. So again, we have to remember this is still after the beheading of John the Baptist. So he's spent some time by himself, the disciples and all these people had come for this large feeding. He has compassion. He does some healing. He feeds them. He lets his disciples go. He goes back to pray after dismissing the crowds. Now, we have to also remember that his disciples, most of them are skilled fishermen. So that evening, they are scared because they're in this boat and the wind picks up and there's a decent storm. So being experienced fishermen, this would be something of concern. They realize that this must be something fairly solid. This must be something that they know is pretty dangerous. And we get this It's stating here in verse 23 that evening came. So we're still in the early evening. And then we get in verse 25 in the early morning. So this is going on all night. That that's when we start seeing someone walking on the sea. They think it's a ghost. Jesus speaks to them and says, take heart, do not be afraid. And we get this interesting answer then from Peter answering him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you and walk on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat. He starts walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed a strong wind, he became frightened, began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him saying, you with little faith, why do you doubt? When they got back to the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. That ends the reading. So this idea of how Peter fixes his eyes on Jesus, from brief moment he loses focus. He then starts to worry. Jesus catches him, brings him back to the boat, and then everything is fine. So really interesting story that we have here out of the Gospel of Matthew. And I bet you're wondering, how is faith and science going to come together in this? But before we jump into that, we have to do our shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainways podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis because I have four different seminary professors from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, along with commentaries from multiple other biblical scholars, along with other discussions discussing a variety of topics. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. So I said before, and I've talked about before, and I know it's been a little long in the tooth, but I think I'll save it for next year, going through and discussing fear. And do not fear. And why is Jesus talking about this? But we get this interesting thing coming out of Matthew that Peter then comes to Jesus walking on the water. And there's a lot of things going on here. Because here we are having these people who are experienced fishermen fearful. They see Jesus thinking it's a ghost. And then Peter says, If it's you, tell me to come and walk to you on water. This very weird, bold faith statement. And then Peter then goes out to him. And we don't hear exactly how far, but we presume at least some distance that he is walking on water like Jesus. 
for me, as I'm thinking about this and I've talked about it with some people this week, faith is a lot about stepping out of the boat at times and being willing and able to realize that there are other people there who are willing to catch us when we fall. When we start to doubt, when we start to question, that that's when there are other people there to help us along, help us get back up, maybe help us back into the boat so we can try again. The different experiences and the different people around us to help us in these times. And in a lot of ways, that's very much like what the typical scientific process is. We have this boat of what our understanding is, but we have questions. We have things we wonder about. And so we take a shot. We take a hypothesis. We step out of the boat and we take some steps. We try to take some steps. Sometimes we fall flat on our face right as we step out of the boat. And sometimes that's where then we suddenly start walking on water. But then there's a lot of questions that we ask. And that's when we start to sink. Let me explain a little bit further. To best explain this, I have to do a rewind all the way back for me being in high school. So shout outs to Mr. Brian Collins, my high school biology teacher. And I distinctly remember being in an ecology class. And one of the things that was part of this ecology class was a big paper that we'd write at the end. And we had been doing some trying to do some habitat preference with different species with Sherman traps, which are these little box traps, and we would be setting in cotton and some peanut butter to attract in different small mammals, and that when they get in there, it's spring-loaded, so once they get far enough back, the weight releases the spring, which closes the door, and then we go out there the next day and, you know, release and we take tallies and we make marks so we can know if we're getting recaptures. And you can do all this types of stuff for population and understanding your diversity. And we had kind of three small microbiomes that we were working in to kind of compare and contrast. And, you know, we were had multiple different papers and what we could write on. And of course, at the ambitious kid that I was, I decided I was going to write the most difficult paper and I was going to look at habitat preference. But a lot of what we were learning, like chi-square to be able to see different possibilities and preferences and trying to show that it's statistically significant that they are showing some types of habitat preference and different things like that through chi-squares and lots of different ways of doing it. One of the things that I would do as I was understanding what was going on is I would be taking this data and I distinctly remember in my notebook trying to find any possible trend that I could possibly think of. So I was making handmade graphs in my notebook with the data that I had over the various years to try to be able to see if I could find new curves, new things that maybe are interesting. I was trying to graph population curves on top of each other because I didn't have a laptop in school. Shows you how old school I was, but essentially just trying to see was there, you know, some inverse trends and different things of that nature. And in that, I felt that I was starting to notice a new trend that no one had noticed before. And I distinctly even remember writing about that and trying to come back later and seeing was my statistics showing things. And I don't even remember exactly how that all turned out. 
But for me, this is a lot like what we're doing in science, like Peter walking out on water. Peter had these questions, this thing of, and the trust. And I was making the hypothesis that there has to be more to this data. And so I went and took this risk of trying to scribble all this out and staying focused to what I was doing to try to see if I could find something. And it's just like in science, when you do these experiments, you make a hypothesis, a shot in the dark, and you get all this data. You're doing multiple trials to make sure you're not doubting your data and that you're trying to see some type of trend or something going on. And is there anything to this data? Trying to make sense of it all. And then in science, we end up getting to a point like Peter where we have made some progress, but we have our natural doubt. It's called the discussion section of a scientific paper where we're bringing up all the possible questions, all the possible things that could have gone wrong with our experiment. It's the whole point of even when you publish a paper, but it's not really published until it's peer-reviewed, essentially other people being able to run the test and say if this seems somewhat valid, making sure that multiple people are, again, trying to shoot holes in your arguments and the things that you're looking at and trying to make sure that you're not overlooking something, making sure that you have all the data here. And we've talked about that before, of how important that's a vital part of what science is. But isn't this same section here of Peter Doubting a valid and important part of our own faith. You see, Peter is walking out, and if Peter goes and meets Jesus, does he then think he is like Jesus? Does he then put himself in the situation that I am like God, and thus putting himself in a situation of breaking the first commandment? Does our own human self need to have this little bit of doubt, this little bit of fear, this little bit of trying to be observant to the things around us to realize that we are human, to realize we're not perfect, to realize that we're not God, to realize we need a Savior? Peter cries out to the Lord in need of a Savior. Let's take a look at another reading here. When we look at the first Kings reading, Elijah fleeing for his life for his stuff going on and exaggerates it. And God saying, what are you doing? And he, God, it's just crazy. I've been trying to follow you perfectly. So very humble. And again, then this, there's no one left, which we see at the end of this passage is obviously not true. And then it's not even God is in these amazing, powerful movements. It's God's in the subtle silence. It's God is in those moments that that's what pulls Elijah out. The sheer silence is what we get at the end of verse 12. That God is in those moments when we are questioning what just happened. Let's continue. The alternative first reading from Genesis with Joseph. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You're the favorite son. You are getting, you've 
youngest, one of the youngest sons, you have become the enemy of all your brothers because your father, for whatever reason, has chosen you as the favorite son. You're just trying to do your job, what you have been told to do. And through a weird series of events, you have been sold off by your brothers, the ones you should trust. Your own family has betrayed you. And that's where the story leaves us this week. Paul's telling us that even though it's our thing to try to divide people up, try to divide the creation and say you're in and you're out, that's not our role. Our role is to bring the good news, which I would argue fits perfectly with this analogy because what is science? Science is trying to help us understand this creation around us. Hereby, if we believe that it's truly created by God, hereby understanding more of the character of God. We are here to better understand our God and then bring that news to other people. Hereby, science is there for us to help us better understand who God is so that we can share that good news with other people. Science explains a lot of the hows. It doesn't explain the whys. Here we are again with Peter. We don't understand why that is his question, but we see the faith that that takes. Just like the faith that it takes to be able to publish a paper, put it in front of other people to be critical of your own work that may have taken a lot of time, work, and effort for people to punch holes in it. And we can either be destroyed by the wind and the rain, but there's also a point where we want to be destroyed and distracted at least by the wind and the rain because we want to know that there are other things to understand. Faith is about having something that we maybe don't entirely understand, but trusting in it. It's something at times I know even in my own life have thought about is why do we click with certain people and not other people? Because we get to this point where we trust people and some people would say this person's a trustworthy person and we get another person and they say, no, I would disagree. Why? Why are we like that? Are we having this internal struggle within us so that we have this spot to help remind us of our human nature, to help remind us of how much we need a savior? When I look at the general practice of how a scientific experiment works, we go out on limbs to take assumptions to try to show something, but want to be shown that we're proven wrong. Want to be ridiculed to show that God saved me. Show those moments where, no, you're overlooking this. You got caught up at looking at this and you missed this. Even when we first think we maybe are seeing something, if we can want to run another trial, why? Because I don't believe what I'm seeing. I need to know for sure. Isn't that what Peter is doing? Peter is walking out there and all of a sudden realizes, oh my goodness, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I am walking on water and I'm getting closer to Jesus. I am drawn toward Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. 
Oh my goodness, I'm actually doing this. Oh my goodness, and look at the storm. Did you see that lightning? Did you see that wind and what it's doing to that tree back there? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not walking. I'm, I'm frozen. Oh, oh my goodness, I'm sinking, I'm sinking. Lord help me, Lord help me, Lord help me. I can't do this. How often, with what we've even been experiencing the last few months, have we experienced that scenario in our own heads? It may be something from day-to-day life to the national media and how they're covering this virus to just how we go through life. When we think we're understanding and we think we see something and we think we know what we're doing and we get distracted or we start realizing that it's not the way we expect it to be. That's what we're seeing here within science and we open up for peer reviews to try to have people make sure that we're not getting distracted. Trying to show and poke holes so that we can understand and see that we need that doubt. We need those questions to bring forth new fruit. To bring forth us getting carried back to the boat, getting carried back to the drawing board to try a new angle. We need this type of doubt. We need that healthy doubt because we don't want to be our own savior. If Jesus is supposed to be a shepherd and lead us, we can't confuse ourselves for being a shepherd when we're a sheep. I think this is a moment where we realize, and this should be helping us realize, the moment of our own human fatality and we get the Romans reading correcting us and steering us to what our role actually is. So when I look at this text, the Twitter question for this week will be, have you thought about the need for healthy doubt? And are you keeping your eyes fixated on Jesus? Because Jesus is saying, you with little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And the reason that I would say is, God, because I'm human. God, because I'm not you. I strive to be like you, but I'm not you. I try to keep my eyes fixed on you. I try looking at all this data, and at times I get distracted. I get taken away. Aren't we all in that situation? Aren't we all in that position where at times we get distracted? We get caught up, like Elijah being caught up in his feelings. The brothers of Joseph being caught up in their emotion. And Paul reminding us how often we get caught up in judging people. Brothers and sisters, remember that we need to try to be as open-minded with trying to see the data as best that we can. But realize that we can't beat ourselves up too much for our own doubt because we're human and we're going to give it a better try the next time. We're going to keep trying to fixate our eyes on Jesus and realize that our job is to continue to bring that message of hope to people. And sometimes we're going to fail. Sometimes we're going to get distracted, but that's okay. We're human. Jesus will help us back to the boat and we'll get the faith to walk out on the water again. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.